Welcome to Oikos. Are you glad to be here? Yes. We are starting a new series called When Duty Calls. I'm going to talk about war and guns. Not really. Um, but we are going to be talking about what leadership looks like. And as we go through the series, it's five weeks. We're going to be looking at the different aspects of leading, whether it's leading into prophecy or it's an aspect of just simply leading others, discipling others. And this morning, that's where we're going to center in. We're going to look at Paul. This is his message. If you go to Acts chapter 20, that's where we're at. We've been working through Acts for almost two years. So if this is your first time to Oikos, then you're like, I think I've missed a lot. But all you have to do is read about 20 chapters in Acts, and you'll catch up. So we're in chapter 20, verse 17, and we're going to go through verse 38 this morning. This message that Paul is giving, this is really one of the few messages, maybe the only message that he preaches to followers of Jesus. Normally, he is preaching to those who are not yet a follower or against Jesus. So this is a message to Christians. One of the earliest messages that we have that's really just directed to the faithful this morning, he's speaking directly to his elders or his leaders. And so we're going to change from my normal um, translation that I use, which is the New Living Translation. And I'm going to just take a little quick time here to just tell you what the differences are. Because sometimes people go, so is the Bible even accurate? Because it has all these different translations. I grew up on the King James Version or the NIV, the New International Version, there's also the New Living Translation, which we use here at Oikos. So what's more accurate? Well, we use the New Living Translation here because it's called a dynamic translation, which means it comes directly from the Greek and the Hebrew, which the Bible was written in. And then they try to use the same words from the Greek and the Hebrew. But if there is just a little nuance because of the way we speak today compared to the way they would speak in the Greek or the Hebrew, they will dynamically change that. So it will say what was intended to be said by the Greek or by the Hebrew. So that's a dynamic translation. NIV is kind of like that too. That's the new international version. A lot of people have used that. The King James version, many people go, oh, that is like directly from the words of God. Oh, I'm sorry to say it didn't even come from the Greek or the Hebrew, it came from Latin. So. That's almost the most inaccurate version, but it's beautifully done. So sometimes we use the King James Version just because of the artistic value that it brings. So the versions, for the most part, you can pick up any version and it's pretty close. It's not going to ruin your faith in Jesus. So don't get weirded out about different versions. But I appreciate the New Living Translation, but this morning we are going to be moving to What's called the message. Now, the message isn't so much a translation. It's almost an exposition of Scripture. So this guy, he was great. He was very learned as a scholar. He knew what he was doing, but he took the Bible and he wrote it so that it would be as if someone was speaking directly to you. And I thought that would be appropriate this morning because this is a message to the faithful, and it's about leadership. So we're in the message this morning rather than the NLT, and we start in verse 17. 
from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus for the leaders of the congregation. When they arrived, he said, you know that from day one of my arrival in Asia, I was with you totally. Now, I want you to be thinking, what are the characteristics of a leader? And then how do I apply that in my own life? So from the very beginning of my arrival in Asia, I was with you totally, laying my life on the line, serving the master no matter what, putting up with no end of scheming by Jews who wanted, me, wanted to do me in. I didn't skimp or trim in any way. Every truth and encouragement that could have made a difference to you, you got. I taught you out in public and I taught you in your homes, urging Jews and Greeks alike to a radical life change before God and an equally radical trust in our master, Jesus. So one characteristic of a leader is truth and encouragement, but not skimping or trimming it in any way. What does that mean? It means that the leader will actually tell you what the truth is. So some of you have heard that from me. Is it always fun? <laughs> Michelle Vandewater's like, no. She's heard it a lot. Doesn't mean she's a bad person. She just has heard it a lot. When you're in proximity to leaders, sometimes they'll hear something that you don't want to hear. That doesn't make it untrue. In fact, the best response that we can get is, how do I respond when I don't like something that I hear? What is the Lord trying to say to me in that moment in time? Oftentimes, I remind people when leaders tell you something that you don't like, stop for a moment and remember who they are. Are they against you? Do they hate you? Have they been for you? And then take a moment to reflect, maybe what they're saying is true, and maybe it will be helpful for me to at least reflect on it. That's what Paul did with his leaders. He told them the truth. He told them exactly what the Lord was telling him. He didn't hold back. So sometimes you'll find in churches that they'll go, well, we're not going to talk about money because people don't want to hear about money. Well, that's a shame because it kind of encapsulates our life, doesn't it? We have a lot of dealings with money. I bet every day you think about money in some way. How you're spending or saving, you're not getting, you're not being paid, or that you got a bonus. You have to talk about the truth. You can't hold back. So when he speaks to his leaders about their life, if they're not living following the Father, following the Father's values, he'll talk to them about it. Boy, that can be uncomfortable, right? Have you ever been in an uncomfortable conversation with a leader? With me? Well, if you ever get married, let me just get you prepped. It can get uncomfortable because the first question I'll ask is, are you living together? 
Well, and that's almost 90% of the time people say yes. But according to the Bible, that's not what God wants. He wants you to not jump into something that you haven't yet promised to do. Do you think that could be uncomfortable? It can be, but guess what? There's huge blessing in it. Because when we talk about the truth of God, even if it's uncomfortable, it means that there could be a possibility for radical life change. The definition of chaos is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. That's what we do. Because we ignore the word of God and we think, well, I'm going to do the same thing I've been doing even though my life sucks. And I hope that something changes. Well, I'm going to give you some truth. It won't change. You'll just see the same stuff happening over and over and over again. Maybe the Lord told you that you're kind of reckless with alcohol. And then we get into a conversation and I go, well, it sounds like you're reckless with alcohol. And I've had this conversation with people before. And they, oh, I, I'm not. I'm like, well, yeah, you are. Because I looked at your Facebook, and there's a lot of stupid stuff on there. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, not me, though. That was just one time. Oh, no, because really, if you look, it's like five years of stupid stuff. And so they go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to just... I'm going to not drink alcohol anymore. And I said, well, I don't know if that's what you need to do. You need to stop and first ask, what does the Father want you to do? What does the Lord want you to do? Maybe he wants you to change some relationships. Maybe it has nothing to do about alcohol. Maybe it has to do with who you're spending your time with. It's a difference and it's a way of approaching life that is different. It means that you listen to the Lord first. And that's how radical life change happens. Because only through the one who is truth do we actually receive truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. He's the truth. So we start with Jesus before we make any decisions. The other thing that we see that Paul does with them is that he spoke to them everywhere. He had a balance, and what we say is a balance between temple and home. So his leaders were not just engaged on a one-time gathering. They were engaged with him throughout the week. It was a part of his process that you gather together, kind of like we do right now, but you have other times when you get access to that leader throughout the week. That's why we believe in missional communities. There are two missional communities that are pushing forward right now. One is on Wednesday night. It's kind of emerging. It happens at the Rogers home. And the other one is at Happy Fats. And it happens every Friday. And those are two opportunities that you can jump into right now and experience what does it look like when you don't just listen to Aaron or whoever's preaching on Sunday morning about what the Lord is saying to you, 
but you have some other leaders that are speaking into your life as well. It's radical change and a possibility to have radical life change happen consistently instead of when you happen to show up on Sunday morning. The other thing that we see in this, these few verses here, through 17 through 21, is that everyone is called the life transformation. I think sometimes us long-time Christians, I'm one of those that I was, after three weeks I was baptized, I grew up in a Jesus-following home, that we forget that he's still calling me to life transformation. We sometimes push that off and go, well, that's just for the new people. That's for those who haven't yet believed in Jesus, and then they're going to believe in Jesus, and then there's life change. No, he's actually calling us to radical life change each and every day. Martin Luther, a historic figure in the Reformation, said that we should remember our baptism every day. And the reason why we should remember our baptism every day is because in baptism, it's the beginning of radical life change. It's in your baptism that the Holy Spirit says, I will dwell in you. Did you hear that? In baptism, the Holy Spirit says, I'll dwell in you. I will make you my home. You will be a child of God, and you will carry the identity of son or daughter of God. And you will represent him in, your, in my kingdom for the rest of your days. When you remember your baptism, you remember who you are so that you know how to represent Every day, you remember your baptism. It means that life change happens not just for the new Christians. It happens for some of us old Christians as well. It means that when you're 80, you can still have radical life change. When you're 50, you can still have radical life change. My kids, Amaria, can still have, I hope she has radical life change. <laughs> That's another sermon for another day. Verse 22 through 24. But there is another urgency before me now. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. Then remember the picture. He just left Ephesus. He's about 30 miles away in Miletus. And they have some layover. I don't know why he has a layover, but they stop. Maybe to get supplies or whatever. And they're calling all the elders in that region in Ephesus and beyond to come and get one last message from Paul. These are his children. He's their spiritual father. But there's another urgency before me now. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. Remember, he's a leader. I do know that it won't be any picnic, for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. He's telling the truth, but he doesn't really know what's going to happen. But he's still willing to go. But that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. 
the job the master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. So a leader finishes what God has started. So when you have the posture of pulling back and listening to what the Lord desires for you, when you pull back and you go, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Maybe it's about my radical life change, or maybe it's about me walking alongside, alongside of someone who is going to receive radical life change. Whatever it is, I'm going to finish what you do. Which basically means I'm going to walk in the footprints of God, and that's all I have to do. He's doing the work. I'm just simply following alongside. I'll be a spokesman. I'll be his, in a sense, a prophet, a messenger of God. That's it. I don't make up the words. I don't have the power to change someone. I just help them experience his incredible generosity towards us. That's what I do. So you finish the mission, you don't stop. Toward the end of Paul's life, he wrote in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I haven't made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. These are some beautiful words that the Lord has given us. That even as we're reaching, God has already reached out to us. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. This is the message of Paul that he's asking us to follow. That you listen to the Lord, you receive his message, and then you press on, you run, and you don't turn back. Because you know that the generosity of God is bigger than anything you could ever dream. He's got you covered. He's making the path and the way. All you do is follow. Continuing in verse 25 through 27 in Acts chapter 20. And so this is goodbye. You're not going to see me again, nor I you. You whom I have gone among for so long, proclaiming the news of God's inaugurated kingdom, I've done my best for you, given you, all, you my all, held back nothing of God's will for you. Verse 28, but now it's up to you. Be on your toes, both for yourselves and your congregation of sheep. The Holy Spirit has put you in charge of these people. God's people they are to guard and protect them. God himself thought that they were worth dying for. He reminds them of the goal of what they were placed in leadership to do. Protect the people. Remind them of God's word. Remind them that these people are worth everything to him. So much so that they were worth his very own son's life. And that's who they're leading. Verse 29. 
I know that as soon as I'm gone, vicious wolves are going to show up and rip into this flock. Men from your very own ranks, twisting words so as to seduce disciples into following them instead of Jesus. So stay awake and keep up your guard. Remember those three years I kept at it with you, never letting up, pouring my heart out to you one after another. The sad thing is, is that the corruption that occurs often isn't from the outside, it's from the inside. So the best thing, the best measure you can have is that you have real relationships, that you actually know one another, that there's a good council of people who know me and are willing to call me out on the carpet if I start making things about me instead of about Jesus. Because corruption starts from the inside. Paul has seen this happen. He's seen them twist leaders that he had poured into, twist things and make it about circumcision instead of Jesus. Twist things and make it about them instead of Jesus. So if you ever move and you're out looking for a church, the things I always tell people is listen to the leader. How much is it about Jesus and following Jesus? And how much is it about following them or about them? Which leads into this next part here. He gives them a blessing in verse 32. Now I'm turning you over to God, our marvelous God, whose gracious word can make you into what he wants you to be. This is a great promise to each of us here this morning. And give you everything you could possibly need in this community of holy friends. For Paul, gathering the church, the Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, the church throughout Asia, was about creating family. It was about creating people who would walk together carry each other's burdens, love one another, and know that you will receive the word of God, the truth that you need so that you can follow him in every step of your life. So then he goes on and says in verse 33, I have never, as you so well know, had any taste for wealth or fashion. With these bare hands, I took care of my own basic needs and those who worked with me. In everything I've done, I've demonstrated to you how necessary it is to work on behalf of the weak and not exploit them. You'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said you're far happier giving than getting. Now, if you look for this message in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you will not find it. It is the one saying of Jesus that is not recorded in the Gospels. However, in history, we see as we look at the book of Acts, that he says, this is a saying that you should remember, which means it has been said throughout the churches of the early church. This is something all the churches knew that Jesus had said. It's kind of one of those sayings that continued on, and we now see it as, the words of Jesus, it makes sense with the rest of the things that he said as well. It's better to give than to receive. 
It's better to give than to get. It's a wise saying that we continue. And as I was thinking about that saying, I really see this being an important part of leadership within the church. We all know that there are professions where you serve the public and you're probably not paid as much as other professions. You may have more education and actually get paid less. And this became very apparent when I was reading the news and I saw this one guy who had chosen to go into the teaching profession um, after he'd served as a manager at Walgreens for several years. So he chose that it was time to serve and, and teach kids. Everybody, did you put your kids in school this last week? If you have kids? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, great thing, right? Put them in school. These teachers, everybody believe, I'm going to just kind of test, make sure we're all in this together. Believe that teachers have an incredibly hard and important job. You have to kind of say that because my wife is a teacher. I know I'm kind of, because if you said no, then I was going to bring Sarah up here and make you feel sorry for her. Um, but teachers have a hard job. They take care of our kids. They literally take care of our kids eight hours a day, five days a week. And they're not just like, now, some teachers might do this, but they're not the really good ones. The really good teachers don't just pop in a movie and go, let's hang out. The real teachers identify the characteristics of your kids and figure out how best to help them learn. They love them. We had a teacher for pre-K um, this last year for Aaliyah in pre-K four, and when she, she was moving out of pre-K and moving to second grade, and she cried because she loved these little kids. And it wasn't, wasn't like we had our dollars out going, if you cry, we're gonna give you more money. She cried because she really loved her job. I've seen my wife agonize over trying to figure out how to help kids who are struggling. And so this guy chooses that he wants to jump into this arena. What was interesting is that what he was being paid at Walgreens was significantly more than what he was going to get as a teacher. 20,000 more. And I sat back and I thought, not that working at Walgreens is a, you know, insignificant or bad or being a manager there is, but really? This is what we say teachers are worth. Because that is what we say in our society. But I think it's important because I'll tell you that my wife, she doesn't even really know what she gets paid. I have to remind her that her paycheck came in. I have to go in and go, I think you're getting a little raise this year. She doesn't know because that's not why she's there. She's there because she loves the kids. She's there because she feels that the Lord has called her into a profession of teaching kids. And so she goes every day. She's done it for 17 years. That's what good teachers, that's what great teachers do. They don't do it because of the money. That's what good pastors do. Good people who work in the church do.
If you ever hear a pastor begin complaining about how much they're being paid, first check out and see if it's real, because it is sometimes. It is. Some pastors out there, I'm telling you, are making less than a worker at Walgreens. And it's a sad state. However, many pastors are being paid fine. But pastors shouldn't be pastors because they want to get rich. Because I will tell you that it probably won't happen. And that's not why you do this. That's not why you're a counselor to people. That's not why you lead people. That's not why you make decisions and have like, 20 people get mad at you because you made a decision. You do it because you know that the Lord has called you to be his messenger, to speak the truth even when people get upset, to speak his words no matter what, so that you can speak his words and not be scared about the money. So it's important as a leader that you realize you're calling enough to say, if you fire me, fire me, but I have to say what the Lord says. Because I'm not here for a job. I'm here for a calling. Now, what would it look like in all of our professions if we said, the Lord has placed me here, and it's more about, my, it's more about his calling to me in this profession than it is about my salary? Did you hear that? What if we looked at our own lives and said, the Lord has placed me in this career to be his messenger. And it's more about his calling than it is my salary. Would that be radical life change? I couldn't really hear Radical life change, that's what leaders call for. It means that your life begins to change, but I'll tell you, there's huge blessing on the other side. If you stop thinking about your salary and start thinking about what the Lord wants you to do at that time in that place, it's awesome. And remember, we serve a God who is beyond our capacity to understand his generosity. Great teachers don't teach to get rich. They don't give in order to get. They give because they know it's better than getting. And that's who we should all be. And that's who Paul wanted his elders to be. Verse 36 to 38. This part, this is how we're ending today. And I just, I want you to really visually get this verse in your mind. Then Paul went down on his knees. Just imagine all these guys had come to hear this last message. All of them kneeling with him and prayed. Then a river of tears, much clinging to Paul, not wanting to let him go. They knew they would never see him again. He had told them quite plainly, the pain cut deep. Then bravely, they walked him down to the ship. 
This is family. This isn't a bunch of co-workers who are going, all right, we'll see you later, Paul. Let's open a kager. This is a family going, we love you. And we want you to be with us. But we understand that your mission from God is greater than the love from us. So we'll let you go. They deeply cared about each other. They invested in each other. They received the investment from Paul. And they loved him as a father. A spiritual father. This is what we want Oikos to be. It's people who deeply love one another, who know each other beyond the surface of a hello and a goodbye. That know more about you than just your job. That know more about your life than whether you like a certain kind of ice cream. But they know your deepest pains. They know your greatest joys. They know your deepest fears. They know your greatest gifts. That's what we want here. And we want it because we're following Paul. We follow Jesus, who told us that he's the truth. And we want to live in the truth. Paul is all about discipleship. And it was about getting people ready to lead. And so as a church that's about discipleship, I want to get you guys ready to lead as well. And I want you to lead in your vocations and your job. I want you to lead in your family. I want you to step back and think about, as a father, what does it mean for my children if I never pray with my wife? What does it mean to them if I'm never praying with them? As a mother, what does it mean to my children if I cannot first stop and ask the Lord what I should do? if I always rely on my emotional re reaction to guide my, my decision. I want us to pull back for a second. And just ask the Lord, how do you want me to lead today? We are called to a duty, and the duty is leading. And it may be in your family, your job place, and maybe in your profession, maybe with other coworkers, maybe with children that you're teaching or church you're leading. But wherever it is, may we just for a moment allow the Lord to guide us as we seek his word and his truth. And when those leaders speak into our lives, may we receive that truth and not just disqualify it because we don't wanna hear it, but actually stop and turn our posture towards Jesus, who is the truth. And see if he'll bring about some radical life change that we probably all need. Anybody need radical life change? Because I do. So we're going to pray for that now. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you that you've given us this picture of a message of Paul speaking to his elders. May it speak to us also, Lord. And as we Resist life change, radical life change in our own lives. Whether it's something morally that is wrong with us that we just haven't been able to overcome, 
that we would press into that, Lord, and allow you to change that deception that we've allowed to rule in our life. Whether it's about our apprehension to lead, whether it's in our workplace where we, people don't even know if we're a follower of Jesus or not because we're so quiet about it, that you would give us the ability to speak your words of truth. That you give us the courage to represent you in that place. If it's in our family, Lord, that you would give us the energy to lead our family well, as mothers, as fathers, as aunts and uncles, grandmothers and grandfathers, brothers or sisters, that we wouldn't discount anyone from that call because we know from your own word that you desire all to be saved. You want us to represent you. You want us to remind people, just as Paul said in the message today, that his mission was to let everyone know about your incredible generosity that we received through the death and resurrection of your son. That because of that, we have life forever with you. Not just an ordinary life, but a good, good life because you're a good, good father. We turn this over to you this morning, Lord. Open our eyes to see the change that you want within us. And may we just simply follow in your footsteps. In your name we pray, amen.